Open your device, your Bible, and whatever, to get ready for the word. I'm going to preach message for in our series on From Above. And our text is Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. So let's read that. Colossians 3, 1 through 3. If you then have been raised up with Jesus Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things, where? Above. Above, not on things on the earth, for you have died and your life is actually hidden with Christ in God. So you and I have been relocated spiritually above. Above is now the, the uh, um, place where our life is seated. Now, your life, and I just want to review a few things because we've had three of these messages so far, so just by way of memory, mention a couple things. Your life stretches across two worlds. There's the spiritual world, which the Bible refers to as above, and then there is the physical world, or what we call the world, not so much speaking of the earth, but of the, of the history of the earth, the spirit of the earth, and that the, world, the uh, Bible refers to as beneath. So there's above, there's beneath. And above is the domain of God. Beneath the earth is the domain of man. Now remember that in the beginning, when God created the earth and he made man to be in his image and likeness and to fellowship with him to be the steward over the earth, earth at that time was kind of an out territory of above. It was part of above, if you will. But that separation took place when man joined Satan in rebellion against God and broke that relationship separating beneath, or the world, from above, from the, the realm of God. So the, the domain of man became now the joint domain of man and Satan. It's almost like a, if you had a lease on a house and the devil knocked on your door and wanted to come in and you said certainly come on in and he comes in and he takes over and so that's kind of the history of the world from the fall going forward so then being stripped of our awareness of above man fell into a state that could be described as existence looking for life every generation of man our poetry our songs our literature um, everything reflects the fact that people grow up looking for life, existing, but looking for life. Now, Jesus described the separation between beneath, or the world, and above, when he said to the Pharisees in John chapter 8, you are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. <clears throat> so that's pretty dramatic. And when he said to the Pharisees, you are from beneath, he wasn't just limiting that statement to them. The word you was rhetorical. He wasn't just saying you Pharisees because they were evil and they were constantly uh, trying to persecute him. But he was talking about you people, mankind. You are from beneath. And I am from above. I'm not from beneath. Now, <clears throat> Jesus then becomes the restoration of that breach, that gap between above and beneath. And he restores us to above. And then from that point on, 
when Jesus comes into your life, you're a citizen of above, the Holy Spirit is constantly pulling on you to live your life from above where your life comes from. Even though we're children of above, we have a habit of living our lives from beneath, and that's, that's when we experience dysfunction and being unfulfilled, but we've been called to live from above, so the Holy Spirit is constantly pulling on us to take advantage of that new identity and learn about above, and that's what this whole series is all about, so that we can live from above. And we're presently going through a list of seven truths from above. So there are, there are seven truths from above to help you navigate between reality in the physical world and your new reality from above. And that's, that's quite a straddle. That's quite a, that's quite a delicate walk, is walking here beneath while at the same time exercising and living in the reality from above because they're in constant conflict, aren't they? So let me quickly review the, the um, four, four, five, what is it, five, five steps or the five, um, the five truths from above that we've mentioned so far, and I'll just quickly touch on them. Number one, we said reality begins with a person, not an environment. So when you think about above or you think about heaven, you don't want to think about the coordinates of a location, you want to think about the authority of God. That is what sets the boundaries for the realm of the spirit or above. Number two, uh, the second truth from above is live from above. You are reborn from above. You're more than just a forgiven sinner here in the world. You're a new species with a new citizenship. You are an ambassador from above with access privileges to King Jesus. Number three, live from above. And to live from above, you must learn above. You move to a new city, new location, you don't know your way around, what's the first thing that you need to do? You need to learn about all the culture, the location, learn the people, learn from above. Learn about above. Listen, if you only use the world's wisdom Throughout your life, you're always going to be ruled by the world. The world's wisdom puts you in bondage and limitation to the world. But if you learn above, if you learn above, then you will live those access privileges that God has given you and walk in an expanded liberty and capacity here upon the earth. Praise the Lord. You'll live with the benefits from above. Number four, and uh, number four was stay single-minded to stay above. Uh, God spoke to Moses in Deuteronomy, and he said, you shall tell the people of God they must be above only continuously, and you shall not be beneath. And so God tells us we should only be above because vacillating back and forth, your allegiance between beneath and above causes you to forfeit your privileges in heaven upon the earth. It causes you to lose your heavenly identity, not that you, your name is re, uh, um, uh, 
removed from the book of life, but you're not carrying that authority upon the earth. And so you end up living a captive to your trials in this life. And so remain single-minded. Remain single-minded. That's, by the way, people say, well, I don't really know if I believe in Jesus, why I need to go to church. Because one of the benefits of fellowship is we're constantly reminding one another, aren't we, Mike? We're constantly encouraging and reminding and, and uh, challenging one another. And what does that do? It puts us constantly, consistently in mind of our life above. And we remember, you, you go long periods of time without fellowship and you, you tend to lose that focus. And as a result, number five was the last one we shared last week. From above, you can overcome unsolvable problems. There are problems and trials in this life you cannot overcome. You can't solve them. Um, but from above, you can, you can overcome the things that you can't solve. In John chapter 3, the scripture says, He that comes from above is above all. God wants to put you above the things that you can't solve, that you can't resolve, those problems. So last week we shared that the faith that God gave you when you were born again, you gave your life to Jesus, that faith he puts in you, that faith comes from above. That's the, that's the home of faith. It's not the faith that comes from the earth that's based in reason and learning and discovery. It is the faith that knows. And God put that faith in you. So it comes from above. So when you orient yourself above and view your trials through the correct end of faith's telescope, you see clearly to overcome the things that would normally defeat you in this life. Now that brings us to number six this morning. Number six, the truth from above, is to come from above, you must speak the language of above. You can't move to a foreign place that has their own language and not learn the language and expect to be able to get along. You need to speak the language. Now, in order to live above and come from above, you must speak the language of above. The Word of God is the language of above. There are no committees that make suggestions about renovating what God has said or changing or adding some new ideas. There's none of that that goes on because God has everything covered. He's absolutely perfect. He doesn't need to improve any of his ideas, any of his thoughts. He doesn't need to update them. So the word of God is the language of heaven. However, faith is its voice. Faith is the voice of above. The word is the language. Faith is the voice. But the word of God is only a belief until you declare it. Think about it with me for a moment because I want to I make sure if we make any point this morning that you realize that beliefs aren't faith until you speak them. They are simply beliefs. They can be however true, however right, however filled with potential until you declare them from a heart of faith and speak them out, it's not faith. Faith speaks. And for example, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 17, when it talks about putting on the whole armor of God, verse 17 says, take 
the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So the Bible says that the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. I know that we think the Bible is the sword of the Spirit, but the Bible can be read, misunderstood, and communicated in the most messed up ways and produce the most horrible results. Is that the fault of God's Word? No. But it's the fact that before this becomes the sword of the Spirit, it must be handled by the faith that comes from above. That's what makes the Word the sword of the Spirit. In other words, Paul writes, take the sword of the Spirit. You can have it without taking it, and Christians do it all the time. If you could see yourself in the Spirit, you get up day by day and you go walking through your house, walking through your place of business, walking through life with that clanging sword at your side, and you, don't, you never take it. It just sits there. While you confront issues all day long that are never going to be solved until you, with faith, draw the Word of God and act upon it. And so, you can have the sword and not take it. I am trying to impress on you, take the sword. That is when your beliefs become faith. The Word doesn't become the sword of the Spirit until you take it. So, from within a heart of bravery, a set mind, uh, <clears throat> ready lips, God's Word forms up into words of life that disarm lies, that defeat demons, and deliver captives. But the captives aren't going to be delivered, and, and the lies of the enemy not going to be defeated. Demons will not be uh, defeated until we begin to speak from above. That's taking the sword of the Spirit. That's when it's not just you speaking, but the Holy Spirit speaking through you. So I think sometimes we end up praying and saying, oh, Holy Spirit, just speak through me, give me something. And it's right there. The Word of God is there. But we need to adjust our mind, our focus, our heart to it, and then take it out and speak that. We should start every morning speaking that authority over our lives, adjusting, setting ourselves in that place. And so in order to come from above, when you get up in the morning, you don't want to come at your day from beneath. You want to come at your day from above. How many of you wake up from above every single morning? Well, God bless you. Good for you. You should be up here preaching because I certainly don't. I wake up from deep in the bowels of beneath some mornings. It is the occupational hazard of living in the world. It just happens. I, don't judge me, you know. I, I wish I had it together like you do. but um, So I have to take the sword of the Spirit. I, I, have to, I have to literally relocate myself to where my life is. It's a decision. It's an act. Uh, and, and so I have, to, I have to make that adjustment. But the very moment that I do, the Holy Spirit takes hold of me. So, he's there when I wake up in the bowels of a miserable attitude. He's still there. 
I've got the sword, the Holy Spirit's there. But he cannot act until I begin to speak his word out of my mouth in prayer and declare the word of God. It just picks me right up, puts me. Just like that song, Glenn, that uh, you taught us years ago, just one word from you, just one word will do. Hallelujah. And set me upon my high place. I've been thinking about that for days. It was great. Um, Did you know that God is looking for voices in this world who will agree with above? You say, what is God looking for? I want to serve God. I want to be useful. I want God to use me. Let me tell you where each and every one of us have to begin. This is our starting point. We can never leave this. This is our mission. God is looking for voices in this world to be in agreement with above. Kingdom come will be done. Why do you think Jesus opened the prayer with that? Kingdom come will be done because he cannot move in this world until somebody stands in agreement with above. We are called the ambassadors of Christ for a reason. If the enemy's messing with your house, then you are that gatekeeper. You are that door. And you have to receive King Jesus through the gate of of your faith and of your confession. You, You can't just... Sometimes praying is wishing. Sometimes... Intense prayers, wishing real hard. But, but wishing, even wishing real hard, doesn't get it until you realize, wow, I'm a child of above. I've been seated with Christ. Set your affection. Set my mind on things above. I'm dead to the world. No wonder I feel so dead. Um, and begin to take and speak from above. Speak as an ambassador of Christ. And then the Holy Spirit will take your beliefs and they become the sword of the Spirit. So God is looking for voices here in this world to agree with him as we walk through this world. Ambassadors from above know how to use the greatest tool that God ever gave man, and that is the voice of faith. The voice of faith is the greatest tool God gave us. It destroys empires of darkness. It builds the embassies of the kingdom of God here in this life. You can't do anything in the kingdom of God without the voice of faith. It is the greatest weapon, greatest tool God has ever given us. And let me show you, break it down, why it's so great, why it's so powerful. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10. You're probably familiar. It says, if you confess, everyone say confess. If you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. With the mouth one confesses and is saved. And the word saved means to be saved from your sins, healed, delivered, and made well, made whole. Praise God. And so the Bible says if you confess with your mouth, It's important to know the Greek word that's translated in our English Bible, confess. Who knows what that word is? Just curious. Yeah, I didn't expect any hands to go up. At any rate, if you've listened to the 500 other times I've said this or preached it, maybe you would remember, but that's all right. I'll remind you. It's 
homologia. Homologia is a Greek word that literally means to say the same thing as God. Agree with and speak the word of God. So now listen. Paul says, if you homologia, if you speak the same thing as God with your heart, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that God raised him from the dead, and as he said, you were raised with him, then you will be healed, saved, delivered, protected, blessed. So you see the power of the word of faith, the most powerful gift that God has given to mankind, the ability to stand upon the earth and speak from above and bring the kingdom of God and its authority and its impact into this physical world. You can practice on your family. That's the awesome part. You can practice on your marriage. You can practice on the struggles you got with your kids or, or the troubles that you've got with your job when needs pop up. It, you can just practice. Just practice that homologia stuff. It works. Hallelujah. You know, it was bold ambassadors from above who wouldn't stop speaking to the Roman Empire that eventually broke its hold of pantheism over the nations. That's how Christianity took off and was unstoppable. Brought down eventually the Roman Empire because speakers from above wouldn't shut up. Ambassadors from above wouldn't stop speaking from above, wouldn't stop speaking the word of faith. And eventually those walls begin to crumble. It began in cities like Ephesus, one of the most powerful economic centers of the Grecian Roman world of that day. Paul's habit on his trips and his journey were to go to major population centers. And perhaps one of the greatest was the city of Ephesus. You can read in Acts chapter 19, that when Paul went into Ephesus, the first thing the Bible records is that he found a dozen, 12 disciples of John the Baptist who had not yet heard that the baptism in the Holy Spirit had occurred. And he said to them, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? Now, he said to them, since you believed, because being disciples of John, they naturally believed that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus would come. But they were still back at that point of believing that Jesus is the Messiah, but not having really received. He says, have you received the Holy Ghost? And they said, well, we haven't really heard that the Holy Spirit was given yet. And he says, he was, and he prayed for them. And the Bible says the Holy Ghost fell on all 12 of them, and they began to speak with other tongues. And began to praise and to magnify God. They were all filled instantly with the Holy Ghost. Now, honey, that's the way to plant a church. Amen. Praise God. I don't know about that modern church planting method. I know it gets buildings and fills them with people. But baby, that's the way to plant a church. Go into a city, find a bunch of people, uh, believe in Jesus, haven't been filled with the Holy Ghost, and pray and let the Holy Ghost fall, fill them up. That church will take care of itself. Yeah. Praise God. And so he goes in, he finds these 12. Next thing he does is he goes to the synagogue, which was his habit, and he goes in and he begins to reason with them from the scriptures until they finally kick him out, which happened every time he would go into this synagogue somewhere. The Judaizers would rise up, reject the message, throw him out. So what did Paul do? He grabbed all the people from the synagogue that had received the gospel, took them with him, and left. Left and took however many of the people that he received Jesus, and he goes to a secular school 
in the city of Ephesus, a secular school. He goes and he says, I'm going to start preaching and teaching here in this school. And they let him and they received him. And so now the Apostle Paul is preaching and signs and wonders and miracles are taking place until the witches and the sorcerers of the city lose their demonic grip over the city. And tons of people gather in public gatherings and they're burning their witchcraft stuff in their books and made a big bonfire in the middle of the city, had a big repentance thing, and people are turning to Jesus, and the city is being shaken. Its culture of darkness is being shaken, and it's breaking down. Where did all that come from? Because a voice wouldn't shut up, and then other voices joined him. It's the voice. It's the voice. The most crucial part of your life isn't how perfect you are, and I'm not minimizing being moral and clean and upright. It's fine to emphasize that. The Bible emphasizes it. But a Christian is somebody, as we mature, who should be able to discern priorities. We should be able to understand what are the most important things and set our lives according to God's priority. And God's priority is that no matter what, whether you're up or down, whether you make mistakes, whether you're perfect or imperfect, whether this vessel is awesome or whether it's a broken vessel, stop, don't ever stop being a voice. Be a voice from above. And Paul would not be quiet. Do you think that Paul or, or other believers as I said, that brought down the Roman Empire. Do you think they stopped preaching? They stopped publicly sharing the gospel because they may have sinned or fallen on their face or made a mistake? And so now the, now the word of God's got to stop. No. Let me tell you, they were faithful. They spoke the word in season and out of season. When the Bible says they spoke and preached the word in season and out of season, do you think it just means that uh, during times when the world was receptive? No, it was times when they, as a vessel, had stumbled and fallen flat on their face, out of season. Lord, I'm, I, you can't use me right now. Go find somebody else. Lord said, no, I've called you to be my vessel in season, out of season. That'll force you to the throne of God. Lord, forgive me. Oh, I don't have time to go through big repentance. No, you don't. You need to go speak my word here. You and I'll work this thing out. Don't worry about it. Praise God. You know, the blood works very fast. Very fast. Somebody say praise the Lord. I know some of you are looking at me like, I don't know, Pastor. You know, uh, really, you've got to be perfect to speak the word of God and have the Holy Ghost anoint it. That is nonsense. Because I have seen some rascals in church services ministering, laying hands on people and ministering to people. At any rate, through that whole 19th chapter where Paul goes into Ephesus, and, and by the way, how many of you remember the story of the exorcist who had seven sons? The seven sons of Sceva. That was in Ephesus. After he goes to the school of Tyrannus and is preaching and gathering disciples, the Bible says one of the chief exorcists in the city has seven sons. That was their, their job. I, they had a shop, I guess. And they, they, they cast out demons. That's what they did. They saw Paul casting out demons in the name of Jesus. They said, wow, this thing really, this, this worked. Let's try this. And so they went and got the town demoniac. And they got him in a house. And they, him and his seven sons started calling over this guy. 
And they said, in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches, we adjure you, come out of this man. They're yelling at the devil, tell him, come out in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches. Well, the Bible says the man looked at them and said, well, Paul I know about and Jesus I know. The demon speaking through it. I know Jesus and I know about Paul. But who are you? Jumped on him and beat them all up. One demon-possessed guy beat up and wounded seven guys and their dad. They ran out of the house. The Bible says, wounded and naked. That was a sign and a wonder. So you could see all of a sudden people realize, wow, this junk that we've got, this stuff is ridiculous. I'm, I'm going with Jesus. Hallelujah. That's how you get things like that to happen. It, it's not huddling and there's I'm not minimizing prayer not huddling in prayer for years and years and years and but never gaining any boldness to speak for Jesus waiting for God to just drop an atomic bomb on the spiritual bomb on the city you've got to go use what God's given you speak to that waitress at the restaurant speak to that person God's touching your heart and just say do you know that God loves you something simple basic you know what occurred to me, so I'll share it with you. When Paul and all those people were going from city to city preaching the gospel and, and tremendous things were happening, did you know they didn't have one of these? They couldn't wait until they learned the word. They didn't have the word. They simply had Jesus and they had the teaching that the apostles were teaching that this was being built up in them so they they had very simple basic truths they were speaking from above and you can see the power of God so what can God do with you what can God do through you if you'll put yourself out there and so finally at the end of the book of Acts it says after all these things so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed Hallelujah. Today, Christ's ambassadors face the exact same mission with the same assignment to speak from above and don't be silenced. I want to ask you a question because this is going to aim at our altar call this morning. Have you in any way allowed the world to silence you? Have you become silenced either by your own thoughts from within yourself or the accusations or threats, whether spoken or implied, that you feel from out in the world. Have you been silenced? Because if you have, to whatever degree, we need to break that and deal with that this morning. How many of you know who Mario Murillo is? A couple of you, yeah, Mario. Get his books and read them. Mario's, yeah, he probably, everything he writes is probably pretty good. Mario's most recent book is called Don't Leave quietly. I liked the title right off the bat. Don't leave quietly. It's a book that calls the churches of America to wake up to their ambassadorial call, stand up and speak out against the darkness that is overthrowing our nation. And don't be pushed into silence. That's what the whole book is about. Church, stand up Take your ambassadorial call and get busy speaking out. I, I found a sentence that he spoke in there that just made me stop and just shout hallelujah. It was just awesome. So I'll read you. This is a sentence taken out of Mario's book. America 
is being flooded by evil and depravity because the loudest voices are evil and depraved. They have the national microphones. They have silenced everyone else. Wow, that's succinct. Why is depravity and evil on the rise? And why is it taking over the institutions and in our culture? Because they're the loudest. That's all it is. We're being defeated by the math. More. And we back down and allow them. We allow ourselves to be silenced. You know, God identified the nature of Satan when he called him the accuser. The accuser. He's a nonstop mouth of blasphemy, deploying accusations and threats to silence any voice of truth. Simple. That's his tactic. He's just a big mouth blasphemer who is ready immediately to deploy threats and accusations in order to get you to back down. He knows exactly what to say to get you to give up speaking from above and go back into silence in your little house, pull your wagons around, and wait for Jesus to come and rescue. So the reason Satan's preachers are destroying America's culture is because they're shouting down the voices of truth and reason. That's all. That's why. They have whole networks. They have a whole Congress and government filled with people. They've got a whole Hollywood creating movies. They, they have most of the institutions of education. And they have a consolidated, confederated, concophony of lies and nonsense and accusation. They just keep pouring. And what are we to do? You can keep praying and praying and praying and praying and praying and praying and nothing's going to happen. Nothing. Until you start realizing God is looking for voices. They left Jerusalem. In fact, God had to kick them out of Jerusalem to get them to go out and preach. They were just getting saved and staying in there. They would have dried up and died and there wouldn't be a church and you and I wouldn't be saved today. But God let persecution hit Jerusalem and they were scattered and went everywhere. They left their households. They left everything behind and they ran wherever they went. And they realized as they were going, they only had one thing. They had the gospel. They had their position from above and they began to preach and they wouldn't be silenced. And it took some time, but eventually the Roman Empire came down. Hallelujah. In fact, I can tell you that human history can be described as the terrible results of a 6,000-year war of words. Think about it. Hitler's evil oratory prepared the ground for the Nazi stormtroopers. He captured Germany and then attacked the world with his mouth. If you're a student of history, you know that's true. And everyone like Hitler, every one of them, every despot, did the exact same thing in their nation culture or in their empire. They broke down the people with their mouth, with their speaking, until they got everyone to agree with them. And then the voices of truth, the voices of reason, just simply retreated and fell silent. Do you think God is trying to wake up the church today? Boy, that's, that, that, I hear the silence. Amen. 
I'm listening to it right now. We can't bring ourselves to say anything, to respond. There has got to be a fight in us at the back of our throat, ready to leap out and say, no, Jesus is Lord. God still loves the world. Jesus is still in the saving business. There needs to be a hallelujah when you hear the truth of God spoken, ready to jump up and join that declaration. We need to be healed from our silence. We need to be delivered from our timidity. Somebody say amen. amen. If loudmouth liars can destroy America, then bold, holy voices can save her. It's simple. It's just as simple as 4 plus 4 equals 8, and 8 minus 4 brings you back down to 4. It's math. We need voices. And the Bible says we don't need as many as they have. We just need to speak because one can put to flight 1,000. I like God's math. Two can put to flight 10,000. Paul proved it. You don't have to have as many as they have. You just need to speak from above. God's got an army. Hallelujah. Ambassadors from above aren't afraid of the world's opinion of them. That's one thing they all have in common. I look today and I see some of these men and women that are out there just cutting through all the nonsense because they're bold and they won't shut up. They don't have to have all the answers. They've got the answer. Ambassadors from above, they're not afraid of the opinions of the world. You want to know why? Because they know that the world is being led by liars. Think about it for a minute. It emboldens you when you know no matter who you're standing in front of, no matter what counsel you've been called to answer to, when you know they're liars, when you know all they have is a lie, you know you have a truth. You won't shut up. You'll be bold. My concern is that our silence is because we're not convinced that they're liars. We're not convinced that the world is speaking lies. We hear them. We send our kids away to college. Then they come home and they tell us how messed up we are, how evil we are, how evil our history is. And we listen to them. We believe that there's something to what they're saying and your voice goes right out. Parents are being converted by their kids who are being perverted by their schools. This thing is all backwards. It needs to be turned around. We need some voices standing up in this hour that will not be intimidated. Praise God. History is filled with accounts of spiritual darkness being raided and it's kept as being delivered by ambassadors from above who refuse to be silenced by Satan's accusations. When they call you things, when they say things about you that you know that aren't true, but you don't know how to argue your way out of it, there's a word from above sitting in you and you ought to pull it out and use it. The Bible says, never answer a fool according to their folly. You don't have to jump and engage in the foolishness that they attack you with, use the truth. 
It'll become the sword of the Spirit, and the folly will not be able to stand. Hallelujah. Someone say amen. amen. I want to close with this one verse. I've Again, I've shared this a ton of times, but I think it's proper. 1 Timothy 6.12 says, Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold, seize the eternal life to which you were called. Eternal life is here. We can share it with our neighbors. We've got to seize it. Take hold of it. How? Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and made a good homologia confession. You take hold of eternal life and fight the fight of faith through the confession, saying the same thing as God. Being that man or that woman who stands upon the earth in your situation and speak for above. Be the ambassador of above and you will fight the good fight and you will take hold of eternal life for you and for those that you're speaking to. Hallelujah. All right, so I'm going to stop and we're going to pray. Here is our, here is our altar call this morning. And you've been listening to this message and you may have been thinking, am I silenced in any way, in any area of my life? Is there a kind of timidity or is there a sense of a lack of confidence in me that keeps me from speaking about Jesus to unsaved people, telling unsaved people about Jesus? Do I feel foolish or am I afraid of being rejected? These are all very simple human things. Don't be ashamed if, if you feel those things, if they're there, because everybody does, Every, everyone does. There is an invisible force in the world, we all feel it, that's just there pushing against any person from above to try to intimidate, keep you from opening up. But love will find a way. The love of God finds a way to say, it isn't about me feeling insecure. It isn't about whether I feel qualified. I need to share the love of Jesus with this person. You take that position. And let me tell you, you will have all the boldness that you need. God will move. And so I want to ask you, as you listen to this message, be honest with yourself. Is there some intimidation, some thought, some insecurity that holds you back from speaking? If there is, let's get rid of it this morning. You say, how do I do that? This is an emotion. There is a supernatural component to being able to speak from above. And the Apostle Paul, who was a gifted orator, the Apostle Paul wrote to the churches and he said, pray for me that I might have utterance, that God would give me the ability to speak, give me utterance, so that I could boldly preach the way I ought to. Here's the Apostle Paul realizing that my ability to speak up for Jesus doesn't come from my skill as a, as a speaker or a historian or a preacher. It comes from my relationship with above. So pray for me, brethren. That's what he was saying. Pray for me that I might have that boldness. I would say to you, pray for me that I would have that, that boldness. And I pray for you that you will have that boldness. We, in other words, have an anointing that can break those barriers of resistance. And I intend to break some of those barriers 
this morning. Hallelujah. So everybody stand up with me. If you're here this morning, you would say, you know what? I, I do have timidity. I have a shyness. There is within my mind and emotions a, a hesitancy. I, I don't feel the freedom to just speak out for Jesus. There's a fear. And, and I want it gone. I want that boldness. How many of you would say that this morning and raise your hand and say, yeah, you know what, that is, that's me. Praise the Lord. Well, you know what? The Bible says that yoke, that yoke of bondage, because that's what it is, the anointing will break that yoke. Those, those people that we read about, they didn't even have Bibles. They didn't have great educations. Where did they get it from? The anointing of the Holy Ghost. They were teaching the words of Jesus, but I don't think they were giving classes on public speaking. There's an anointing here this morning to destroy that hindrance that has been in your heart and in your mind. And I want to pray for you right now. Those of you that raised your hands, set yourself in agreement right now. Let's come before the Lord. Hallelujah, because the Holy Spirit is here this morning. And I believe that we can chase out, break, and release you from that captivity that has kept you bound. And the passion to speak for Jesus is going to reignite in you this week. Hallelujah. I'm excited. So let's pray right now. Father, I take authority through Jesus' name that the Holy Spirit that you have sent, who is here right now in us, will rise up within everyone who has raised their hand and said, you know what, there is a barrier and I want it destroyed. I want to be bold. In the name of Jesus, by the anointing of the Holy Spirit, I command that barrier to be broken. I command that timidity. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And by the anointing of the Holy Ghost, I command the confusion to leave you. I command in the name of Jesus the fear, the intimidation. In the name of Jesus, I command that, um, that uh, wanting to just sit back and let someone else do it. That walking away from your responsibility. Oh no. I send the anointing of the Holy Ghost to come on you like fire. You're supposed to be baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire. Now here's the fire part. Burn those hearts till the zeal of God begins to raise them up. And they won't say, let somebody else do it. I'm anointed to do it. Send the fire of the Holy Ghost, Father, so that each and every man and woman under the sound of my voice will become bold in the Lord to speak. We can't argue with all the arguments of the world, but we can preach Jesus. Come on now. We can share Jesus. We can talk about Jesus. Jesus can fight for himself. Jesus can solve his own problems. Jesus can deal with all this other nonsense. But glory to God, you and I, you and I need to speak Jesus. God's given us power, love, and a sound mind. I release that anointing upon you to receive it now in Jesus' name. And for anyone who is here this morning, you feel, you know, I'm not right with God. 
I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm not sure I've really given my life to the Lord. I want to do that this morning. That's awesome because God wants you to. He's been knocking on your heart all morning. Knocking on the door of your heart. And you need to be right with him. Be that woman, be that man right now that says, Lord, I want to be saved. I want to be delivered. I want to get back right with you again. And I want to pray with you now. I want you to pray this simple prayer with me. And speak to the Father because he is there. Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart. And he is ready to receive you. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I am yours and I surrender my life to you. Save me, Lord. Come into my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. I dedicate and give my life to you. Spirit, soul, and body. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of salvation. And thank you for the Holy Spirit who now lives within me. Amen and amen. Praise God.